Good morning. It's great to see you all here today. My name is Renita Gilliland and I'm on staff with our Kids Life team. When my husband and I moved to this area 26 years ago, we chose to make Wheaton Bible Church our church for two reasons. One, we saw the community of faith that we could belong to, and two, the children's ministry. Since its beginning, Wheaton Bible Church has been dedicated to reaching the next generation of believers. And this was so evident to my husband and I, as we saw not only how our kids were cared for, but that their teachers and leaders truly wanted them to come to know Jesus. I'm so grateful for the time they spent with my kids. And we have people just like this serving in kids' life today. And I have the privilege of telling you about one. His name is Chuck Kenny. Chuck has been serving in kids' life for four years, and he's currently leading our class for third and fourth graders. Prior to retirement, Chuck was a technical director at Fermilab. Now, he had lots of experience teaching and training adults and leading Bible studies, etc. <clears throat> excuse me, but he had never worked with kids. Yet, Chuck realized that the chance of really making a difference and having an everlasting impact lay with the next generation. So he decided to step out of his comfort zone and invest his time and talents in children's lives. This is what Chuck says about serving in kids' life. Being a volunteer in kids' ministry gives meaning to my life. As a retiree, I could waste hours every day in front of the TV or the computer or doing hobbies. But the impact that I've seen in the lives of so many kids has given me a new purpose. Now that I'm retired, and so many people my age feel like they're winding down, it's rewarding to see that I have found a way to leave a legacy that will last many years after I'm gone. I feel like I'm leaving an eternal legacy for the kingdom, thanks to the seeds I'm planting through the kids' ministry, which, God willing, will yield everlasting fruits and lives transformed. Now, you're probably thinking I'm up here to beg you to come and serve in kids' life, but guess what, you're wrong. All of our roles are filled right now. Praise the Lord. That's something to celebrate, right? <laughs> what I would like to do is invite you to pray for our Kids Life Ministry. <clears throat> this past year, it feels like we've constantly been reworking and refining how we care for families and kids. Due to COVID, our kids are struggling with isolation and depression and anxiety. The stakes have never been higher. And while we still have online options, our in-person classes have been a lifeline for many. 
as we welcome more families back to campus, our, the number of classes we can open is limited to the number of volunteers we have. So I want to ask you to pray with us as we strive to make disciples. Disciples who are growing up in a culture that's increasingly hostile to believers. Disciples who will be resilient and stand firm in their faith as they grow into adulthood. And then, while you're praying, if the Spirit nudges you, I want you to come and join our Kids Life team. We'd love to have you. Just go to wheatonbible.org volunteer. Find the age group that's right for you. And I hope to see you soon on our team. Thank you. Whoops, I'm going this way. Just a personal thank you, too, from Katie and me to both Renita and all the volunteers for your impact on our kids' life as well. I'll add my welcome to hers and a good morning. I invite you today to worship the great I am, the same God that met Moses on Mount Sinai and now invites us to draw near to him through Jesus. Our first hymn says, now to his temple draw near, and his temple is Jesus, the place where we can meet God because of his sacrifice for us. Let's stand for our call to worship from Psalm 34. I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. Oh, magnify the Lord with me, and let us exalt his name together.
be seated. Greetings, Wheaton Bible Church. We are Jonathan and Cindy Rainey. We have been serving in Indonesia with Mission Aviation Fellowship for the past 29 years, giving hope by using aviation to reach the isolated with the love of Jesus Christ. COVID hit last year, and it was deemed that it was best for us to spend some time in the States due to Cindy's ongoing respiratory issues. As we spent time working from MAF headquarters, we were challenged to seek further what abiding in the Lord meant for us. At the same time, Cindy's respiratory issues were greatly improved by the dry climate. We asked God, what does this mean? As we work through a discernment process with the Lord and some trusted others, God in his great kindness was clear that we needed to close our time in Indonesia, though our hearts were being broken. We love the people of Indonesia and we love the ministry God gave us there. We have cried many tears, but I'm so grateful that God collects our tears. We desire to be rooted in the Lord above and beyond what he asks us to do each day. With the reality of change, MAF asked Jonathan to fill a role impacting our operations around the world. At this point, we don't know yet what God has for me, but we trust his plans are good. During this time, God has reminded us often from his scripture. One is in Jeremiah 29, 11, saying, For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you hope and a future. Also, Isaiah 41, 10, God reminds us again, Do not fear, for I am with you. Do not be dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you and help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. Many of us have experienced really hard times this past year. We're not alone. God in his gentleness stands with us. His promises never fail us. So we walk through this transition with his confidence, firmly standing on God's promises. Was it amazing to see what God is doing even when it's not what we want or what we've planned? We as a church choose to stand on the promises of Christ our King. So let's stand together and declare this.
join me in a prayer of confession and forgiveness? Psalm 79 reads, Do not remember against us our former iniquities. Let your compassion come speedily to meet us, for we are brought very low. Help us, O God of our salvation, for the glory of your name. Deliver us and atone for our sins, for your name's sake. Heavenly Father, as we sing these great hymns, as we hear these stories from missionaries, we are aware of your majesty and goodness. We are more keenly aware of our sinfulness and the ways that we fall short before you. We're also made more aware of your compassion, your forgiveness, your abundant goodness towards us. And Lord, we confess our sins to you at this time, both our individual sins as well as our corporate sins. We do so not out of fear, but in full assurance of your forgiveness through faith in Christ's atoning sacrifice. And we confess out of a desire to walk more closely with you, to be more like you, to be your hands and feet in the world, and to have it be on earth as it is in heaven. Make it so, Lord. We offer ourselves to you as living sacrifices. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Stand and sing together. Wonderful, merciful Savior, precious Redeemer and friend, who would have thought that a lamb would rescue the souls of men? Oh, you rescue the souls of men.
At this time, we have the privilege of hearing from our choir. They are going to sing a, a song called Shine on Us. Shine on Us is based on Psalm 80. Psalm 80 has a pleading tone throughout. And over the course of the psalm is a, a recurring refrain that the psalmist keeps saying. He says, Restore us, O God of hosts. Let your face shine that we may be saved. And as you listen to this song, I invite you to plead along with the choir that God may make his face shine upon us, that he may make his faithfulness and goodness more and more known to us and to our world. And let's listen now.
we give a hand to our choir? Uh, before the pastoral prayer, I wanted to uh, share with you something that, I, uh, that it was in my heart as I was listening to Renita make this beautiful announcement about our children's ministries and how much the Lord has blessed us. And I know that she said that uh, we are okay, that we don't need anybody right now that the Lord provided. I have a different opinion. I think that you should be serving. I think that you should use your talents for the glory of God's name and for the well-being of our kids because they're not the future of our church. They are our church. So please consider, maybe not for now, maybe next month as things continue to open up. Uh, so please, if the Lord puts it in your heart, and even if he doesn't, take it from me. Maybe you should consider volunteering in that ministry. Uh, the second thing before we pray, I don't know if you know this, but Rob <clears throat> sometimes forgets that uh, he's a little bit older than what he was 20 years ago. Uh, and even though I love him, he forgets that often. Two weeks ago, about a week and a, uh, week and a half ago, he, was, he went skiing with some relatives and he fell and he dislocated his shoulder and he went through a surgery last week. So now he's at home, probably watching this service right now, hating what I'm about to say, right? Um, <laughs> But we need to pray for him, for prompt uh, recuperation, for the medicine to do its work, and for him to stop doing things like that. <laughs> Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your love and your mercy and your grace. What a beautiful thing, Lord. It is that we are part of a church, Lord, that cares about the, the generation that is coming up. Lord, what a blessing it is, Lord, for us to know that the kingdom of God has all kinds of flavors and colors and ages. And I want to pray for a special, a special blessing upon our kids, Lord. And I pray, Lord, that you use that ministry in amazing ways. Lord, we thank you because actually part of our, our giving goes to that ministry, Lord. And I pray, Lord, that you continue to use the resources that you have given us uh, for us to continue to minister to the people that you have given us already. I pray, Lord, that you continue to use the church to be more and more a giving church, not just in terms of money, but in, ter in terms of giftings and giving what you have already gave us for the sake of others. We pray for Rob, Lord, as he continues to uh, get better. Lord, and now we also pray for this sermon. We pray, Lord, that you... Um, that by the power and the presence and the ministry of the Holy Spirit... You do something in us as we continue to grow in our understanding and dependence of who he is and why he is so important in our lives. So now we pray to you, Holy Spirit, please be with us. Speak to us, illuminate our minds, give us understanding, allow us to believe and repent if it's necessary. And of course, take us to Jesus and his atoning work at the cross and leave us there. And we pray for all of this in the name of Jesus. And the church says? All right, good morning, familia. My name is Hannibal Rodriguez, one of the teaching pastors here at church, just in case you don't know me. And whether you're here or you're visiting, worshiping with us online, I wanted to always, I want to welcome you again. For the last few weeks, we have been going through this series uh, based on one section of the scripture known as the Upper Room Discourse that starts 
in John chapter 13, and it goes all the way to John chapter 17. And in this section of the scripture, teaching uh, Jesus is spending his, the last, his last five hours before going to the, to the cross, teaching his disciples what, what I would think is some of the most essential things about Christianity. Interesting enough, in this section, the topic or the theme that is repeated the most from John chapter 13 all the way to John chapter 17 is the Holy Spirit. The importance of the Holy Spirit, the person of the Holy Spirit, the ministry of the Holy Spirit. So if you were with us um, three weeks ago, Rob, Pastor Rob talked about this. Uh, last week, I talked a little bit about that again. And today, the text continues to speak to us about this. So we have to address the topic of the Holy Spirit. And for that, we're going to be reading John chapter 16, the second part of verse 4. And we're going to read all the way to John chapter 15. I mean, uh, verse 15. John chapter 16, second part of verse 4, all the way to verse 15. Can you please stand for the reading of God's word as a sign of reverence to him and his word. If you are here, can you please say, I'm here. John chapter 16, second part of verse 4. I did not tell you this from the beginning because I was with you. But now that I'm going to him who sent me, no, none of you ask me, where are you going? Rather, you are filled with grief because I have said these things. But very truly, I tell you, it is for your good that I'm going away. Unless I go away, the advocate will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. When he comes... He will prove the world to be in the wrong about sin and righteousness and judgment. About sin, because people do not believe in me. About righteousness, because I am going to the Father where you can see me no longer. And about judgment, because the prince of this world now stands condemned. I have much more to say to you, more than you can bear, but when he, the Spirit, the Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth. He will not speak on his own. He will speak only what he hears, and he will tell you what is yet to come. He will glorify me because it is from me that he will receive what he will make known to you. Verse 15. All that belongs to the Father is mine. That is why I said the Spirit will receive from me what he will make known to you. This is the word of the Lord. You may take a seat. Um, in this text, we see what I will call the twofold ministry or work of the Holy Spirit. And that's what we're going to see is that he's got two primary responsibilities. Of course, there's many more things that he does. But according to this text, the Holy Spirit has two primary responsibilities. Number one is to expose and convince. And number two is to lead to delight. With the first point, we're going to see, uh, you could say what I, what I would call the quote-unquote negative ministry of the Holy Spirit. And with the second point, we're going to see what I will call, quote-unquote, the positive side of the ministry of the Holy Spirit. Actually, both of them are positive, but you will feel that one is offensive and the other one is, um, 
It's a pretty cool one, basically. All right? So let's go with the first point. One of the primary ministries of the Holy Spirit is to expose and convince. Now, when you look at the text and the context of the text, you see that at the beginning of the section we just read, Jesus does something unusual. He says something unusual. Actually, he says that it is probably better that he goes away because if he doesn't go away, the, the disciples and actually the rest of the church will never be able to experience the presence, ministry, and power of the Holy Spirit. That's why in verse 7 he says, But very truly I tell you it is for your good that I'm going away. Unless I go, I go away, the advocate will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. Now I think that you got to put yourselves in the shoes of the disciples for a second. And if you are the disciple, you probably hear this and it doesn't make any sense. If you hear that, the, the, that Jesus is going away, then you have to assume that the Messiah, the promised Messiah of the Old Testament came and is already going away. And if the Messiah is going away, then your hope is going away as a disciple. And if your hope is going away, you're probably thinking and wondering that you just wasted three years of your life with this man that's said to be the Messiah, and now he's going away. This had to be a very difficult thing for the disciples to hear. Three years with this amazing, beautiful, perfect person, and now he says, hey, you guys, I'm going away. This is why the text says in verse 6 that the disciples experience this thing called grief. Actually, the text says that they were filled with grief. I think that in the original, that's a good translation, but I think that in the original, the concept is more like they were filled with grief in their hearts. That really mattered. Because it wasn't just this feeling of being left uh, alone or this feeling of desperation, if you will. It was more than that. Actually, I think that in the original, the, the, the concept here is that they were in, in a place in which they almost experienced a panic attack. Like, what? Are you going away? And what Jesus is saying is something like, don't worry, guys. Don't worry, my disciples. Don't worry, my beloved. Don't be controlled by fear. Because I will send you the Holy Spirit, the advocate, and that's a good thing for you. It's a good thing for you. So we have to ask the question, why is the Holy Spirit so good? Now, the reason why I start with that is because the first 10, 15 minutes of my sermon may feel, will feel offensive. And I hope you are offended by that. Because Jesus says that that's a good thing. Sometimes us being confronted with the reality of who we are is a good thing. So you got to keep that in mind and put it in context. That's why in verse 8, it says that the Holy Spirit comes to prove to the world or to prove the world. And I want you to pause there for a second because the word prove, even though it's a good word and a good translation, that's from the word prove that I get the concept of expose or to convince. 
In other words, one of the ministries of the Holy Spirit is to bring to light what is already inside and to convince you that you are not as good as you think you are. Let me say that again. To prove means that one of the ministries of the Holy Spirit is to expose to you what is already inside and to convince you that you are not as good as you think you are. And that's a good thing. And I will dig into that a little bit more, but I want you to see that if you have an experience with the Holy Spirit, and all, the only thing that the Holy Spirit does to you is to show you how beautiful, how amazing, how powerful, how wow you are, that might not be the Holy Spirit. That might be an emotional speaker. You know, it's one of those guys that make tons of money to make you feel good. I think that one of the primary roles of the Holy Spirit, according to this text and the rest of the Bible, in my opinion, is to show you those things that are toxic to you at a personal level, which are the same things that are toxic uh, to you and to others. And if it's toxic to you and to others, then it's also toxic in your relationship with God. Because every single thing we struggle with, every single sin, if you will, has personal, uh, relational, and divine consequences. Every single little thing we struggle with, not only it affects me, but it affects the people I love and it affects my relationship with the Lord. That's why no one can ever say that there are such a thing as private sins. Listen up, church. There is no such a thing as private sins. And part of what the Spirit does is he exposes that and he convinces you that that is true. That's why in the second part of verse 8, he says that he comes to convince us of our sin and righteousness and judgment. Now, pay attention to every single one of these. Because it is because of these three things that I am completely sure that one of the ministries of the Holy Spirit is to remind you that you are more sinful than what you, th- than what you think you are. Now, John is going to explain what he means by these three words, sin, um, righteousness, and judgment. In verse 9, for example, it says that, we, that he comes to expose us of our sin because, we, because people do not believe in me. And I want you to pay attention to that verse because it says that the root of every sin, that the root of everything that we do wrong, that the root of everything that is toxic and dangerous and it hinders our relationship with people and with God, the root of all of that is always unbelief. And that is true for the non-Christian and that is true for the Christian. See, pick a person that doesn't have a saving relationship with Jesus. Maybe a person that he or she doesn't even care about God. And you will see that the root of their sin is always unbelief. They don't think that Jesus is the son of God. They don't think that Jesus had to die for their sins. They don't think that they need a savior. Actually, they think that they are their own savior. They think that there is no ruler that is above everything else, that there is no ultimate authority. Part of the reason why people struggle with sin is because of unbelief. What I find remarkable is that that is true of non-believers, but it's also true of us believers. Whenever you and I struggle with our sin, it's because of the same thing. It's unbelief. 
I mean, we might believe in Jesus. We, we probably surrender our lives to him. But for some reason, sometimes, in some occasions, we just don't believe that he's enough. Or we don't believe that he's sufficient. Or we don't believe that he's the best thing we could ever have. Our sin problem is also unbelief problem. So I ask myself this question, why do I fear or worry? And usually when I fear or worry, it's because I stopped trusting Jesus. Somehow, I stopped trusting his goodness. I stopped trusting his control. I stopped, I stopped trusting that he's the mighty one, my shepherd, and my deliverer. That's why I struggle with worry and fear. It's unbelief. That's part of the reason why sometimes I feel and you feel so lonely because we forget and we, we, we don't trust God enough to believe that he's Emmanuel, God with us. Isn't that the reason why sometimes we have this necessity to prove that we are something? It's because for a fragment of time we stop believing, for a second, for a fragment of time we stop believing that Jesus really died for us and we are important to him. The root of every sin is always unbelief. And that's why the Holy Spirit is so necessary. He needs to confront you with the still, the world in your heart, the unbelief in your heart. So from this perspective, it is impossible for a non-Christian to become a Christian without the ministry of the Holy Spirit. It is impossible for someone that doesn't have a saving relationship with Jesus to become a Christian without the presence and the ministry of the Holy Spirit. If you are here and you are not a Christian yet, I want you to see that God is already pursuing you because if not, we wouldn't be having this conversation. But if you're a Christian, it is impossible for you to grow without the ministry and the person of the Holy Spirit. We just can't do it without him. We are all full of blind spots. We all have different tendencies. There are still things that we need to surrender. That's why the Holy Spirit needs to continue to work. Actually, one of the evidences that you are walking in alignment with the Spirit is when you let him be, your, be an advocate is when you let him expose and convince the things that you struggle with. You must let him. And we let him by stop being self-advocates. You know what that means? That when the Spirit shows you something, you don't put any excuses. But at least you stop and think, is this, true of, is this true of me? No excuses whatsoever. No Adam and Eve garbage. It's, it's, you allow the Spirit to speak to you. No excuses. So we will never say something like, it's, it's, it's not that I'm aggressive or stubborn. It's just that I'm a person with strong opinions. You would never say that. You would never say, oh, no, no, it's not that I have these racial tendencies. It's just, it's just that I don't like those people. You would never say that. Oh, no, no, it's not just that I'm greedy. It's just that I like to manage my money well. See, you would never say that. 
Oh, no, no, it's not that I can't forgive that person. Is that, I mean, that was too much. See, that, that's one of the evidences that you're allowing the spirit to be the spirit. We're not quick to defend. We're not quick to justify. See, when, I, when I'm, and this is as a personal, ex, personal experience, right? There has been so many times in which I can feel the spirit speaking to me, and I say things in my head like, well, I'm not that bad. At least I'm not like him. You know who made that argument? I'm sure that you know this guy, Pablo Escobar. Do you know how is it that this guy justified all the atrocities he did? By giving money to the poor. So from that standard, Pablo Escobar could say, I'm not that bad. No excuses, no self-defense. I remember years ago, I was having an argument with my wife because that's what normal people do. And yes, pastors too. And I remember that in the midst of this argument, I am feeling super angry, right? And I tell Heidi, you made me angry. (laughs) And Heidi says, through the person and the power of the spirit. (laughs) I don't make you angry. You are an angry person. Isn't that true? When we struggle, it's not because someone made us to. It's because that's who we are. And the Holy Spirit makes it clear. See, part of his role is to convince you and to expose the things that we struggle with. And our position has to be no excuses, no self-defense, no self-advocate. Just allow him to be who he is. We are more sinful than what we think we are. Interesting that the Spirit doesn't stop just by reminding us that we're still very much sinful. But also, part of his role is to remind us that we are not righteous enough to deserve God's love and God's acceptance. Not only he tells you that you are more sinful than what you think you are, but he also reminds you that you are not as righteous as you think you are. That's the point of verse 10. When he says that he talks about righteousness because I am going to the Father where you can can see me no longer. And this is the idea here. That Jesus is saying that no one is righteous enough to earn to be before the presence of God. Actually, What you're going to see later on is that the only way that we actually become truly righteous is when we come through the blood of Jesus Christ. No one is righteous enough for us to say, God has to love me. Isn't that offensive? Yep. I think it's offensive. The Holy Spirit proves to you not only that you are more evil than what you think you are, but that you're not as righteous as what you think you are. In my opinion, that is the easiest thing to prove. All you have to do is pay attention to your actions, pay attention to your words, pay attention to your thoughts, and pay attention to your motivations. Just pay attention to those four things. And now remember, that every sin that I commit has personal implications, 
horizontal impl implications, and vertical implications. When you pay attention to all of that, I think that you would agree, you would agree with the Bible. I'm not as righteous as I think I am. You know, Jack Miller, I'm assuming that many of you are familiar with him, but he was the founder of World Vision. And I'm going to use an example that I used about two years ago, but I haven't found anything better uh, to actually make this point. Uh, he, was teaching a, he was teaching this subject to a group of students that they were about to become missionaries to go to another part of the world, right? Um, and he understood with all his heart that in order for you to become a missionary, a godly, loving, gentle, and yet courageous missionary, you really need to understand how sinful you are. Because if not, you go into a different part of the world thinking that you are the savior of the world, thinking that you are superior. It's not someone, it's a broken person wanting to minister to another broken people. So he would spend a few hours teaching about this subject, and he noticed that in many of his students, they had an issue with pride. And they actually thought that they were more righteous than what they thought they were. So he created the tongue assessment. And I want to give it to you because I love you. And because if I felt bad as I was preparing this, you should too. <laughs> this is what he will give his students. For one week, do not do any of the following. Do not gossip. Do not spread a bad report, even in prayer. Do not complain. Do not blame shift, even if you are married. Do not defend yourself, and do not boast for one week. And then he says, not only you need to do that, but you need to witness you need to affirm and encourage others. You need to express thanks, and you need to praise others. And he said, if you can do these two things for one week, you are righteous enough. I'll give you two hours. <laughs> and you will see. Not only that we are more sinful than what we think we are, but we're not as righteous as what we think we are. And that's part of what the Holy Spirit does. It reminds you that everything we are and everything we have is because of the grace of God, not because we deserve it, not because we earned it. And it is because of that that the Holy Spirit then not only exposes and convinces you that we all deserve the judgment of God. The same way the devil deserved the judgment of God. I find that, I find that verse extremely, extremely confrontational. Because the text says that if the devil was judged because of his actions, thoughts, words, and even motivations, we too deserve the same judgment. Isn't that crazy? The same judgment. 
We are, we are people in desperate need of our God. This is, this is not just something that we're just not, not that good. It's like really inside we have tons of issues. And the Holy Spirit, because he loves us so much, he says, you need to see them and you need to be convinced that that's a reality. Is that offensive? Of course it is. Is that a negative thing? Of course it is. Is it good? Of course it is. God loves you so much. God loves me so much that he's not willing to leave me the way I am. That he's not willing to leave you the way you are. He's that good. And this is why the Holy Spirit is so important. Question. What would happen if I stopped the sermon here? <laughs> you will leave this place condemned. Actually, maybe not condemned. For some of you, you would take a different approach. And with that, I'm going to go to point number two, part of the ministry of the Holy Spirit is to lead you to the light. But before I make my case clear on this point, let me explain to you what will be the approach for many of us when we hear that we are more evil than what we think we are and we are not as righteous as we think we are. For some people, and I would say within the church of Jesus Christ, for some people we hear this and we say, all right, the Holy Spirit did his part, I got to do my part. And this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to try harder. I'm going to be more careful. I'm going to do everything in my power to change. I'm going to say no to sin. I'm going to make sure that I'm not as righteous as I think I am. You know what the problem with that is? That if you are the problem, how are you the solution? So there's three different approaches to this, for some people, in my opinion, right? We have this tendency to minimize the power and the nature of sin. We actually think that we can get rid of our sin by ourselves. We actually put a lot of hope in the things that we can do. If that is true, my brothers and sisters, why is it that there has been a number of times in which you have told the Lord, I'm never going to do that again, and boom, next week, you do it again. Um, I don't know if you caught, we caught this, but at the beginning of the text, Jesus says that he's going to go away. The disciples are filled with grief. But if you read the context, the, disciple, the disciples are not filled with grief because Jesus is going away. They're filled with grief because they're going to stay behind. It's almost like if you tell your child, hey, listen, tomorrow I'm going to have a surgery, okay? And your child says to you, Who's going to make me breakfast? That's exactly what's happening here. If we are the problem, how are we the solution? For some of the people, it might not, it might not be that we minimize the power of sin, right? But that we do everything in our power to change externally without ever changing our heart internally. Wasn't that the case of the Pharisees? They did everything right, people. They did everything right. They went to church. They gave money. They served in children's ministries. They did all of that stuff. And yet their heart was far from God. 
how would it go for you if you tell someone that is meaningful to you, like your, your spouse or the person you're dating or a really close friend, how, about, how would that go for you if you, go, if you tell that person, listen, I'm going to do everything right. I'm going to help you. I'm going to do whatever I have to do. But just know this, that I'm doing it because it's the right thing to do, but not because I care for you. How would that go for you? See, for some of the people, it's actually different. Is we try to change, and we try to change others by using different mechanisms like pride or fear or reward. Listen up. If you are a parent, you still do this because that's what your parents did to you. We actually believe that people can change by pride, fear, or reward. You want me to prove it to you? If you feel guilty about this, just repent, okay? Listen, it's when we go to our loved ones and we say something like, if you stop doing this, you will become this. Or if you do this, you will be like this. That's appealing to a change of heart by using pride. And what happens is actually that you can become successful and life gets better, but your heart never changed. Maybe the other way to change people, quote unquote change people, is by fear. My mom would always tell me this. Don't do this, because if you do it, this is what is going to happen to you. Does that work? Only as long as you continue to fear your parents. But the moment you stop fearing your parents, that doesn't work. I remember clearly, this is a completely sinful thing, okay? But I completely, uh, clearly saying to my mom, my mom said, she would say, like a good Latina, she would say, stop doing this because if not, I'm going to whoop you. There was a time in which I looked at her and said, bring it. I know, please pray for me. But the idea is that fear does not change the person. It modifies the behavior, but it doesn't change the heart. And this one, in my opinion, is the most common one. Rewards. Do this, and I'm going to give you this. How long can you keep that up? And how big the rewards need to be in order for you to change? None of that stuff helps. So what I'm about to give you in the next four minutes is my theology of change. How is it that I believe that people change? And I think that that's one of the reasons why the Holy Spirit is so and so important. Because part of what the Spirit has to do is not only to expose and convince you of everything that is wrong with us, but at the same time, He needs to expose and He needs to convince you. And He needs to affect your will. And change your, your heart in such a way that you move from duty to delight. When he works in you in such a way that he does the very thing that uh, you will see in a second in verse 14. Is when you actually understand and, and get to the point in which you delight in Jesus. In such a way that not only you try to change, but you want to change. Because we are always changed by the things we love. 
We are always changed by the things that we find beautiful and amazing and perfect. That's why when you met your spouse, if you're married, you changed whether you liked it or not. That's exactly how the Spirit works in us. And I think that that's part of the reason why the Holy Spirit is called an advocate. You know what's interesting about that name? Is that that name appears five times in the New Testament. Four times are given to the Holy Spirit, and the other time is given to Jesus in 1 John chapter 2, verse 1. There is a reason why the name that is given to the Holy Spirit in this text is the advocate. It's because the Holy Spirit, listen up, is an extension of the heart of Jesus, the ultimate advocate. Listen, I want to spend some time making a case here. I want to argue, and I'm going to tell you where I'm getting this from, that part of the reason why the Holy Spirit needs to glorify Jesus which is what you're going to see. Let me see if this is, yeah. Glorify Jesus here in verse 14. Is because he needs to show uh, Christ's heart for us in such a way that we are so in love with him to the point that we start to change. That unless the Holy Spirit elevates Christ to us in our hearts, we could never change. Let me tell you where I'm getting this from. There's a book called uh, Gentle and Lowly, The Heart of Christ for Sinners and Sufferers by Dane Ortland. That's a book that I would recommend every day of my life. And this is what he says there. The Spirit is the continuation of the heart of Christ for his people. The Spirit is like Jesus, leaving his heart behind. The Spirit causes us to actually feel Christ's heart for us. And he makes the case that there's a difference between Jesus being our intercessor and Jesus being our advocate. He argues, and he's, by the way, he's uh, borrowing this from John Bunyan. Uh, but what he argues is that Jesus as an intercessor is always before the presence of the Father, reminding the Father, standing at the right hand of God, of everything that he already did for Christians. You have been already forgiven. You have been already accepted. accepted you have been already justified. There's nothing that could change that. Jesus is standing on the right side of God, intercedes for you always and forever. Even when you feel that he's not interceding for you. But this is the difference between Jesus as an intercessor and Jesus as an advocate. We need Jesus as an advocate when we uh, sin big. When our sins are bigger than the usual sins. When we get to the point in which we do something or say something or thought something that in our hearts we feel that it's just unforgivable. When we know that our sin brings catastrophic consequences. When we feel and know that our sin deserves the wrath of God. Not just any sin, the bigger sins. That's what John Bunyan, Bunyan would argue. And it is precisely in those times that Jesus shows up, not just as an intercessor, but as an advocate. Listen, I, I don't know what you consider to be your big sins. I know which ones are mine. And those I hate 
much more than any other sin. But every time I go through that, the Holy Spirit reminds me, not just that this is a reality of who I am and the struggles that I have, but he reminds me of Jesus as an intercessor, but also as Jesus as an advocate. Let me read this, and I quote, Our sins feel far more sinful after we have become believers than before. Isn't that true? And we do indeed continue to sin after becoming believers. Sometimes we sin big sins. And that's what Christ's advocacy is for. It's God's way of encouraging us to not throw in the towel. Yes, we fail Christ as his disciples. But his, his advocacy on our behalf rises higher than our sins. His advocacy speaks louder than our failures. All is taken care of. For our regular sins, you got Jesus as an intercessor. But for the major sins in your life, you got Jesus as an advocate. And nothing can change that. So my encouragement to the church is this. Don't give up. Delight in who Jesus is and what he did for you. Delight in the fact that, that Jesus is the sinless son of God dying in the, pl in the place of the sinner. Delight in the fact that the righteous one died on your behalf, uh, died on behalf of the unrighteous. Delight in the fact that Jesus took upon himself the judgment we all deserved. Delight in the fact that Jesus is interceding for you and he will be an, an advocate for you whenever you need it. There is no sin big enough. For Jesus not to say something about that. No sin big enough. And as someone said it in the past, that is the expulsive power of a new affection. That's how you change. Of course we got to do the things that we have to do. But doing those things without delighting in Jesus is nothing. It's pointless. May the Holy Spirit grant us not only the negative thing of sin, our sin, our false righteousness, and the judgment we deserve, but may the Holy Spirit grant us the gift of seeing Jesus as beautiful and enough. Do you see him like that? Let's pray. Lord, um, how, how much we need Jesus, not just as an intercessor, but as, as, as our advocate. My prayer for us is simple, Lord, today. Please allow us to listen and be guided and impacted by the person of the Holy Spirit. That we may be sensitive to him. And allow him to convince us of the things that we need to be convinced of. And allow us to take us to Jesus. And as I said at the beginning, and leave us there. Because that's 
the only way we change. For the glory of your name, to die to our sin and to love others. And we pray for all of this in the name of Jesus and the church says, stand together as we respond to the truth that we just heard.
Christ guarantees for us at the cross. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. May the Lord turn his face to you and give you peace. And the church says, have a blessed day. Thanks for coming. We love you, church. You are sent. See you guys next week.